you know what? I bet I would be freaking awesome at braiding hair. (laughs) Although at the same time, so much beard knowledge to pass on. One thing's for sure, either way, I cannot wait to teach this child, whether it's a boy or a girl, the correct viewing order of the Star Wars saga, which of course is episodes four, five, and six before episodes one, two, and three. Otherwise, you completely ruin the big reveal at the end of The Empire Strikes Back when we find out that Darth Vader is Luke's... Well, I'd hate to ruin it for you. (laughs) My name's Tommy Cummins. I'm on the student team here at Plum Creek. And on the morning of July 24th, 2014, I was excited because that was the day that my wife, Mindy, and I were supposed to find out, are we having a little baby boy or a little baby girl? In fact, I was so excited that I I kind of had a little bit of nervous pain in my stomach. But, But I pushed through. I went to work for a few hours at least until the pain steadily increasing forced me to go home and lie down for a little bit. My goodness, what's happening here? Am I really this nervous? I mean, certainly I'm excited to find out is it a boy or is it a girl, but I'm also thoroughly convinced I'm going to be excited either way. So what's with the pain? I had already uh, been getting several texts that day Dude, we're excited for you guys. This is going to be awesome. Hey, we can't wait to hear the good news. But apparently, the news of the pain in my stomach was also getting out because the text messages started to change to, hey, man, here you're not feeling well, praying for you. Bro, do you need some soup? I'd be glad to bring you some soup. I woke up that day expectant for the moment that we would see a picture of my wife's insides. I just never dreamed that we would end the day both of us having pictures from our insides because it wasn't nervous pain that was coming in my stomach, but as you can probably guess, it was appendicitis. More text messages. Dude, so sorry to hear. I'm praying for you. Tommy, this timing sucks. I'm really sorry. You're right. Then came the worst medical advice in the history of modern medicine as we finally made it to the hospital. Are you ready for this? Okay, Mr. Cummins, uh, your white blood cell count is indeed elevated, and we are seeing some inflammation from the scans, both of which are pretty clear indicators that you do indeed have appendicitis. However, we want you to, to, to go home. But here's why. Um, you're really not that far along yet, and, and our operating rooms are slammed today, and um, we really don't have that many beds to begin with. Medical professionals, I wish I was making this up. Go home and wait until the pain becomes unbearable and then come back in. 
okay, it's interesting that you should say that because I was under the impression that we had already executed that exact plan. (laughs) But hey, you're the expert here. We were home for less than an hour when logic finally caught up to us and we decided, you know what, we might be better off going to a different hospital, which who knows, maybe that's what they wanted all along. All said and done, I was in that hospital for less than 24 hours, but during that 24 hours, I had 12 visitors. Three of them showed up at 11 p.m. when it was finally decided, yeah, we need to get this guy into surgery as soon as possible. One of them, one of our best friends, was actually sitting in the room with my wife and I when the doctor came in and said, all right, Mr. Cummins, we need you to disrobe because it's time to get you ready for surgery, at which point I just started taking off my shirt because apparently morphine makes me super compliant. Not even really noticing our female friend in the corner of the room doing everything she could to climb over whatever she had to to get out. Luckily, my wife stopped me before I got too far along. Two of them were still in the waiting room with my wife at 3 o'clock in the morning when they finally got word that I had made it through okay. At that point, in a different part of the hospital, the first thing I remember coming out of the anesthesia was there's this flurry of activity all around me. This is a really tense moment. I should do something to help everyone calm down. (laughs) And that's when they rolled me onto my side so that they can move me off the operating table and onto my recovery bed. It's also the moment the genius struck, and I said to the entire room on my side, How's the view back there? (laughs) The next day was a revolving door of visitors all coming with food and snacks and gifts and prayers and smiles. Two of them just went straight to our house and started mowing and edging and weed eating our almost one acre property, which took about two hours and they did it gladly, we witnessed what turned into almost an argument about who was going to get to bring us food and provide other services over the next several days as I was recovering, and more calls and text messages and prayers than I could possibly count. If we didn't already know it on the morning of July 24th, we certainly knew it by the 26th that we were part of something really, really special. Last week, Pastor Doug unpacked for us that we as a church community, we're not consumers. We don't show up expecting someone else to serve us, but we serve because we are the church. We're not consumers, we're contributors. And prior to that, we, we, we saw the vision cast for us that we are irrationally generous, that it is a joy to invest our financial resources back into the kingdom of God rather than our own. And all of that because of the first week that we as a community exist to make Jesus famous, because the work that God is doing in us is not only for us. And as we continue in this vein, which really through this pillar series, what we're trying to do is unpack for us, what do we mean when we say we're changed lives, changing lives? And in our fourth pillar, we'll see today 
that what we mean by that is in, in one instance, we, we are created for community. I think that many of you have probably already found right here at Plum Creek the kind of community that I just gave you a little glimpse into that my wife and I experienced in Florida. The kind of community where we feel so incredibly known, loved, valued, and cared for so well that we hate having to miss an opportunity to be present. Certainly my wife, Mindy, and our daughter, Lainey, we, we feel like we are well on the way to that here. We've only been here a year. But I'm sure that there's also many of you in the room that, that are yearning for exactly that kind of community. Or maybe you've been burned in the process as you, you've tried to lean into it. I know that if we don't feel it, we all certainly want it because it's woven into the very fabric of who we are. We indeed were created for connection. And not only that, but as we'll see today, Jesus actually commanded us to pursue it. If you have your Bibles or your devices, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. If you don't, don't worry, because it's going to be up on the screens as well. But as you turn to Matthew 22, let me say a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to gather together in your name, and God, to, to be a community. Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds in these next few moments, regardless of our experiences regardless of maybe the baggage that we're carrying when it comes to this particular subject, help us to understand that, that because we're created in your image, that means that we are created for community, and it's so important for us to pursue. God, we just thank you. We ask that you be glorified here today. It's your name that we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he, he being Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now let me pause right there and clarify that just because it says they were trying to trap Jesus... This actually was not really a trick question. In fact, every single one of the Pharisees present would have been expecting the exact same answer. What they were hoping for was based on some of the radical things they had heard Jesus say up to this point already, that Jesus would give the wrong answer in this instance. But actually, Jesus hits the nail right on the head, gives the exact answer that they were expecting to hear, which is what he says in verse 37. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, at this point, they would have been thinking, oh, man, he got it right. He, he gave the right answer. We were really hoping, again, based on other crazy things he said, that he would say the wrong thing and we would have him. They, they certainly would not have been expecting him to continue because that was the answer. That was all of the answer. But continue, he did. He said in verse 39, a second 
is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, a second is equally important? As in, it's equally important for us to love others as it is to love God. You're really putting those two things on the same level? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's one of our 600 plus commandments, but you can't put those two things on the same level. They're not on the same playing field. This, this, was, this was new. This was certainly unexpected. In fact, this, this was radical. But, but should they really have been all that surprised? At least knowing what we know today... We certainly shouldn't be all that surprised to see Jesus saying that loving others is equally important as loving God. Those are on the same level. After all, on the very first page of your Bibles, in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, the Pharisees weren't playing with all of the same, the, the, the pieces. They didn't have all of the information like we do today. But we know now that God is one and yet three. We serve one God who exists simultaneously as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's hard to completely wrap our minds around this, but the one true God exists in God's nature in community. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those are not just three different identities that God can put on whenever it's convenient, whenever it suits Him, but all three of those, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exist together in community as the one true God. What that means is that being made in the image of God means we were made for community. We are communal creatures because we were created in the image of a communal God. We were not designed to go through life alone, but we were created for connection. Certainly, Jesus' statement that loving others and loving God, that those things are equally important, may have seemed radical to the Pharisees. But again, knowing what we know now, we can see that one of the ways we can love, we can show love to God is by showing love to others. We can show love to God by showing love to others because every single person we will ever meet was created in the image of God. So, of course, we can show love to God by showing love to others, by honoring the very image of God that they were created in. By looking at every single person and saying, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they have done, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have done, we are all created in the image of the one true God. So we can show love to God by showing love to others, by living the way we were designed to live in connected community with one another. 
But if that doesn't sound radical enough, actually Jesus and the Apostle Paul both take it even one step further. At the all-important meal that we now refer to as the Last Supper, when Jesus was gathered together with his disciples, he said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments, which for us begs the question, okay, well, what did Jesus command? Which certainly we can study and we can look through every recorded word of Jesus that exists and come up with a list, but actually it's way simpler than that. Because if we back up just a chapter to John chapter 13, at this very same meal, the very same night, just moments earlier, he said this, starting in verse 34, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus took the 600 plus commandments from the old covenant and made it infinitely simpler and yet infinitely more demanding by saying, just love each other. The way that I have loved you, you should love each other. But, whew, that's a tall order when you look at the way that Jesus loved these guys. You could almost read between the lines a conversation happening here. Okay, okay, Matthew, you were a tax collector. That means you were despised, you were ostracized, you were untouchable. Just talking to you would have been like committing social suicide. But I didn't just talk to you. I invited you to come along with me on this journey. Peter, Andrew, James, John, all of you were told by the religious leaders, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not worthy to be one of us. I didn't care what they said about you. I invited you to be my disciples anyway. Nathaniel, when you first heard about me, you openly mocked me saying, what good thing could possibly come from Nazareth? I never once held those words against you. I never brought it up a single time. Judas, you and I both know exactly what you're about to do to me. And I just washed your feet right alongside everyone else. Gentlemen, people ought to be able to see in the way that you prioritize and conduct your relationships that you are my followers by the way that you love. I recently heard Pastor Andy Stanley say, Imagine if unbelievers, if non-Christians looked at us and said, you know what, I I'm not 100% sure I agree with what you believe. But my goodness, I am envious of the way you treat one another, of the way you treat us. That's what Jesus 
meant when he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We were created for connection. In fact, our connections should be the defining characteristics of who we are as followers of Jesus if we're going to listen to the words of Jesus himself. And the Apostle Paul actually unpacks a similar thought in Galatians 5, 6. He says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. The New International Version actually hits even a little bit harder. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Again, wow, Paul, really? The only thing that counts? As in the only, only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love? That already sounds pretty weighty, but... It actually holds even more significance than we might think at first glance because Paul's reference to circumcision here rep- represents the, the design of devotion. If, if you're a total, uh, totally devoted to God, according to the old covenant, circumcision was that invisible sign, at least for half of the population. But he's saying, hey, that's not the sign anymore. Now, if you're going to show that you are totally devoted to God You're going to have to show others with the way that you act, with the way that you talk, with the way that you treat one another. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. In other words, just as Jesus told us, it's no longer about keeping a list of rules. It's about loving God and loving others. And sure, properly loving God and properly loving others, it's going to lead us to a lot of the same conclusions as we see in the Old Covenant. Things like, hey, don't, don't lie to them. Don't cheat on them. My goodness, don't murder them. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. We're not doing all of this in order to earn love from God. This should all be happening in response to the love that God freely gives. We don't have to, and we never could earn it, no matter how hard we tried. Love God, love others. That's it. It's that simple. Everything else that we see from the biblical authors is really just telling us and further unpacking how can we do that really, really well. But certainly, simplicity does not always mean easy, right? It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of intentionality, which is why our main thought today is this, and it's the tagline for Created for Connection. You'll see it on the pillar out in the atrium. Our behaviors and schedules must reflect the essential pursuit of healthy relationships with God, family, and others. Our behaviors and schedules must reflect the essential pursuit of healthy relationships with God, family, and others. Or if you want to write it down, maybe let's simplify it just a little bit. 
GFO does not happen on accident. You see it every single week when you come in these doors. Our priorities as a community are GFO, God, family, and others. And making those the top three priorities in our lives, that certainly does not happen on accident. It's about seizing and creating opportunities. Certainly opportunities will come along like someone getting appendicitis on what is probably the most inconvenient day for them of the entire year. And you can show up in those moments and that'll be a huge catalyst to propel relationships forward by simply being there. But maybe even more importantly, it also requires creating those kinds of opportunities, of making sure that our schedules reflect God, family, and other priorities in our lives. I mean, think of it this way. If I told you, I am a huge dog lover, not cats, dogs. <laughs> in fact, I, I love do- my love for dogs is so important to me. That's one of the defining characteristics of who I am. You'd be like, oh man, Tommy, that's awesome. Dude, how many dogs do you own? I don't own any dogs. Well, like how much, do you like spend time volunteering in like an animal shelter or something like that? No, 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 I'm way too busy for that. I might be saying with my words that dogs are a huge priority in my life, but my behaviors And my schedule certainly are not reflecting that priority. I told you that we found incredible community in Florida. But the truth is, it would be way more accurate to say that we worked really hard to create incredible connections and community in Florida. If you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, I've heard it before, love God, love others, it's that simple. And yeah, this kind of community, that sounds great. It's a great theory, but I've been burned before. I've tried to lean into that kind of community and was snubbed. I get it. I get it because I've been there myself. In fact, the whole reason that we started our own life group in Florida is because it felt like people were not super eager to welcome us into their existing groups. And so we decided, you know what? We're just going to start our own. And we certainly weren't alone. People are broken. People are messy. People are unnecessarily possessive and exclusive at times, unfortunately. But it just takes a lot of time and effort and intentionality over a long period of time to get there. So again, we showed up in Florida with no real relationships to speak of, and it felt like everyone kind of thought, we already have a good thing going. And so we went to three people and said, hey, we're looking at starting our own life group. Would you be interested in joining us? They were super excited. All three of them more followed in the months and years ahead. And almost every week for the next three years, we intentionally blocked off time to do life together. 
We opened our homes so that we could eat meals and play games together. We intentionally pursued God together in Bible study, pointing each other toward Jesus. We served right alongside each other in student ministry, shoulder to shoulder, pursuing the same goal. We practically argued over who would get to take someone to the airport at four in the morning And then on top of that, showed up with Starbucks in hand. Who in the world does that? We were glad to help one another move when that came up. That's not something people like to do. We laughed together a whole lot. We showered each other with gifts at the birth of our new kids. We we cried together. We forgave one another's faults, which were many. We picked each other up when someone was down. We waded into the mess of one another's lives, and it was beautiful. And after three years of so intentionally spending time together and pursuing one another and doing life together, on July 24th, 2014, we saw exactly how special it was. We realized that all the time, all of the effort was so worth it because we were doing exactly what Jesus had called us to do, which was to love one another the way that he loved us. And a couple years later, after five years of doing life together, when Mindy and I got a call from a church in Colorado Springs and we felt like God was saying, hey, you guys need to go. We cried more tears together than we had in our entire lives and maybe that we have since because we knew that we would be walking away from the deepest relationships that we had ever known. And I shouldn't have been surprised when one of them offered to fly to Colorado with Mindy and our newborn daughter, Lainey. I shouldn't have been surprised when three of those guys said, hey, dude, we'll drive with you more than halfway across the country and then fly back on our own dime. That shouldn't have surprised me because that wasn't just what we did. That was who we were. Folks, we were created for connection. It's woven into the very fabric of who we are. And in order to fully actualize that our behaviors and our schedules have to reflect that GFO priority. As hard as it might be, that means saying no to other things so that we can say yes to this. Because it's just too crucial to who we are. And please believe me when I say that here at Plum Creek, we would love nothing more than to help you get there and to find exactly that. We would love to help you get plugged in. We have Plum Creek groups that meet all over Castle Rock and the surrounding areas all throughout just about every single day of the week. We would love to help you get plugged into one of those. Or if you know what, if it's like none of these really fit, great. We would love to help you start a new one. 
We have so many ministries like, like our amazing True Grit men's ministry. We have an awesome women's ministry. We, for our older folks, we've got a well-seasoned ministry. For our younger folks, we've got a young adults ministry. We've got kids ministry, student ministry, so many more. All of them exist to help you get plugged in trying to find this kind of community. We just talked about a brand new resource called uh, Right Now Media that is literally designed to help you find greater relationship with God family, and others. It's a free resource. We would love for you to utilize that. There are so many ways that you can get plugged in serving, just like we talked about last week, which is also a huge catalyst for helping those relationships go deeper, serving shoulder to shoulder, side by side with someone else. And and please hear me when I say I'm not trying to add a bunch of extra stress onto you of like, oh goodness, look at all the other stuff I have to do now. Actually, I'm advocating for the exact opposite, that we need to declutter our schedules and our lives so that this can become a priority because it is way too important and too crucial not to. Choose your plan of attack. Give us the opportunity to help you make it happen because GFO does not happen on accident. Loving God and loving others, it's not about just feelings because you're not always going to feel like it. It's about actions. In this instance, love is a verb. And that verb isn't just what we do. It's who we are as followers of Jesus because we were created for connection in the image of a communal God who is love. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love. That Jesus was so great that you were willing to step down into the mess that we had created so that we could see your love in action. So that we could, we could discover your true nature by seeing it alive and breathing in the person of Jesus God, you want to have relationship with us. God, help us to make that relationship a priority. But not just our relationship with you, but but that we would take the words of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and so many others actually to heart and to focus on loving others as well because God, man, we we would so love it if people looked at Plum Creek and said, you know what, I'm not 100% sure I agree with what they believe, but my goodness, I'm envious of how they love each other. God, that's how we want to reflect you. Give us the boldness, the courage to do something countercultural and say no to other things so that we can say yes to this because it's too crucial, it's too central to who we are to ignore it. You did not design us to go through life alone. And when we feel alone, when we feel isolated, we know that that is only the enemy in our lives at work. And so, God, we just, we just give that over to you. We ask that you would move, that you would work, and that, God, ultimately everything that we do would be to glorify you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.